All right, so let's make it plain. Welcome back to the Make It Plain Wayne podcast, where we will entertain, we will heal, and we will build you up. I am Wayne, and this is Elevated Friendship. So for today's topic, I want to talk about my national championship. (laughs) So I am now the 40 to 44 age group, 110 high hurdle champion of Masters Track and Field. Dude, I I can't even begin to tell you how good I feel right now and how amazing it was. Um, just the people that I saw, the amazing competition, uh, the, the great people. Um, there was just so many uh, uh, key note things to take advantage of and and to look. Um, uh, to look at, uh, lady, I, I just got to look this up real quick because I didn't get to see all the hurdle races because, because of age and wisdom and of course, care and kindness, um, with it being 90 degrees at, you know, 9 AM, you want to run those, those older hurdle races, the older hurdlers, you want to run them first. So they have a chance to get in and get out and cool down. Uh, you know, us younger athletes, you know, we can kind of take a little bit more of a beating. Um, you know, we're a little bit, a little bit more able bodied and, you know, let, let, let's be courteous. So Florence Myler, <laughs> age 87, set two age group world masters records to highlight the first day of competition at the USATF Masters Outdoor uh, Championships. She did this on Thursday. I ran on Friday, so that's probably why I didn't get to see it. She did it in the morning. Um, But, I mean, this chick is amazing. There's another article uh, I shared with friends of mine, um, and I I believe this is her, but there's another young lady, I believe 80 or 81 as well. I mean, she won her 100 meters, um in like 16 seconds <laughs> and I'm just like what <laughs> so I know I'm supposed to be talking about me but a big deal of masters track and field has everything to do um, with the arena and and the the environment not necessarily to me not necessarily just me because you're you're gonna run your race and you're gonna run your races however many you're in but it doesn't stop you from seeing somebody you know or talking to the people that you came with or that are responsible for you getting there, you know? And part of my support, I mean, I wouldn't be here <laughs> and have the training and the technique without the love and support from Tachyon Athletic, big ups to the Tachyon family, coach Steve Gordon, brother, mentor, friend, coach, amazing. His lovely wife, Tanya, the master's athlete she is, she's coming off of an injury and trying to heal up and and has motivated and inspired all of us old heads to get up out there and do it. And of course, my wife, like all of the sacrifice and time that we spent, like we were driving away from the meet and I just held my wife's hand. I was like, hey, like, I really appreciate all of this, like all that you have done, like no one knows more than her what I am. You know what I'm saying? 
she's watched me hobble and, and bobble down the stairs and 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 struggle to get up and and she's been number one like she hasn't just been the number one cheerleader in my life she's been the number one inspiration because without her support without her love and maybe making it home an hour or two late on those Wednesdays and Fridays um without her giving me that slack when she and I both know I want to be at home and be a dad I want to love my daughter I want to be here without her giving me that room to breathe okay there is no training there is no this that and the other you know what I mean so it's not just having it from a strategic standpoint because everybody always wants to go to the motivation or what did you do to train or what did you do? I got with the right people. I sat down with the right people. And then I had the support internally in the home. And like a lot of people don't understand, like you can't just tell people do this and do that. A lot of times you do need to sacrifice or give of yourself in support. And that's like, it's something I had to understand and learn early on. And so, something I'm trying to share with my wife. Hey, I'm here for you. Make me a list of things to do. You shouldn't be doing all this stuff by yourself. Like, let me help you. And it's like, it's funny because a lot of women don't ever hear that. You know, for a lot of women, the man is just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And woman is like, well, I'd appreciate your help with this. Or I always ask you for help with this. I am literally saying, give me the list. I'm going to work on it. Because I'm a list guy. I can't function without a list. So <laughs> the support was so necessary. Now, motivation, motivation-wise, now you would think seeing an 81-year-old woman run almost the identical time I ran in the hurdles would be motivation, right? Seeing, you know, all these old guys, all these old heads run at nationals would be motivation, right? Like, it doesn't really hit all at the same time. Like, it, it doesn't really hit all at the same time for everybody. And that's because I, I had to go through this road. I had to walk down this road and learn how to re-motivate myself. I mean, here I am in 2003, 2004 at National Track Meets and not realizing, like, this is the fastest I'm ever going to be in my life according to just flat speed, okay? Not even realizing it, you know, just taking it for granted purely because, you know, you're young, you're 22, you're 23, you don't know, you don't care, you think all oh, this is going to be forever, <laughs> you know? But I've been 14th in the nation. I've been 11th in the nation. I've been third, and I've been sixth in the nation. That was in 97 as a kid, I've been sixth in the nation. Then 2019, I've been third in the nation. Now I'm number one. And so like for me, I don't take that lightly because it is a progression to get to this point and now be 40 years old. Like to get to this point and reach that is, is a huge and amazing accomplishment. And then to, to come from rank seventh in the world, I think I finished up 14th after all of the meets finished in 2019, which like really made me mad because I'm like, 
man, do I got to go over there? <laughs> do I got to go over to, to Germany and Australia and Russia and, and uh, I think it was Nigeria? <laughs> do I got to go over there and run? You know, and no, I can't go everywhere, but, you know, big ups to them, those guys. Um, I can't name all of them by name, but they did a fabulous job. Like, we're grown men. So that tells me a little bit about their health and what they're providing to their families. And I just hope that their families are getting something out of that health as well. You know, I plan on giving that to mine as well. I chase my daughter around. I love being able and healthy and fit and, you know, being able to chase my daughter. And I'm still the fastest person in the house. Um, well, unless you have like a dog or a cat. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And I mean, I have family to, to thank as well. Um, because a lot of my motivation and support came from, you know, watching my mom and dad as a kid running a couple track meets. Um, my dad kind of got locked into a lot of work, a lot of busy work, you know, church and a couple jobs, just trying to make ends meet. And, you know, so master's track and field wasn't really in the picture. Then, you know, once, you know, we got a little bit older, don't need a babysitter, you know, grown man out there running. Like once he got the freedom to do so, he um he did jump back out there and run Masters track and field. So did my uncle. And I mean they're they're two worlds apart. Like my uncle would get in five Ks and marathons and run and then also jump on the track and run, you know, one, two and four <laughs> or eight hundred in some cases. Um but yeah, the the doctor had to actually tell my dad, hey, two total knees all these knee surgeries, Achilles surgery, stop running. No more running for you. <laughs> no soup for you. He had to finally tell him stop. But I, I, I would be sorely remiss, I think is the phrase people say. I, I would be a fool to not admit that seeing these old guys get out there and run was, wasn't motivating. It was definitely motivating. Because, I mean, you know, you're not, you know, they're not going to break the world record. So why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Competition is always going to be there. Being able to work out is always going to be there. Now, the, the way speed goes up and goes down, that's always going to be there. So why are they out here doing it? A, they're doing it for fun. B, we're all competitive. You know, we are competitive. So, A, we're doing it for fun. B, we're all competitive. And then C, like, we're in shape. That's, like, the most important thing. We're in shape. Let's get in shape. Like, I don't care what anybody else does, like, track-wise. You know, I, like, I, re I really don't care because the health is the most important thing. When I was at the meet, Watching these men and women walk around with gray. Like, I saw a guy that was like a, a bigger, taller version of me. Full gray little Sam, uh, salt and pepper beard. Gray hair. Like, this dude was in phenomenal shape. I'm like, look at the legs on that one. <laughs> I'm like, this, like in Dumb and Dumber. Look at the, he must work out. <laughs> so, I'm like, dude, like Goals. I'm like, this makes me happy. This gives me something to aspire for because I hear everybody. I hear everybody. Um, I'm old, right? <laughs> I don't got any time. I don't got any money. I got kids. I got you know, 
kids, work, stress, injuries, family. I fell off a donkey. I fell off a horse. I was in a boating accident. I was in a car accident. Like, yes, yes, you are right. Yes, you do have excuses. Yes, you do have problems. Now let's find a way to work that into your story. Like me, I'm, I'm not like everybody. I'm willing to sit and talk to you and admit, yes, it was hard. Yes, you went through something. Yes, it was bad. Yes, you're hurt. Yes, you're crying. Yes, you lost your mom. Yes, you lost your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your dog, your cat, your only friend. It was a horrible, a horrible accident, and they were the athlete you trained with. So what's the point? Or you only trained and ran to be a, a tool of success for somebody else. It was never yours. I get it. Yes. Yes. But let's just be in shape. Let's just be in shape. And that's what's so funny is like motivation-wise, um, <laughs> motivation-wise, I remember starting with The Rock. You know, it was like a couple years ago, me and one of my buddies, one of my best friends, we were just talking like we usually do. And we really got on that topic of like, what motivates you? What inspires you? Like, what makes you dig to do more, to do better? What makes you want to get out and get it? And we were really struggling to find that thing. And, and here's the problem. Like, I really got to lay this out very clean. For all you men and women that are contemplating uh, uh, Masters CrossFit, Masters Track and Field, Warrior Dash, Mud Run, uh, Tough Mudder, um, anything training-wise, motivation-wise, this is the most important thing I'm going to say to you. Your motivation is your motivation. I try to use The Rock's motivational videos and it built me up. I was like, so fired. I was like, yeah, yeah, man, let's go. I'm built. I'm fired up. Let's go. And it only got me motivated to just like lift a little bit, you know? And I always wondered like, why do guys call me to get motivated to run and work out? Like, why do guys call me? It's because it is easy to lose. And then people look for it in the wrong place. My running is attached to my childhood. Okay? My running is attached to my childhood. I was told I couldn't run in the halls as a kid. That hurt me. You know, because I, I felt so free and so fun when I ran. And I felt like I could fly. So being told that I couldn't run, I mean, that, that kind of sunk deep. And then when I could run track and field and... I got on the track team running summer track, USATF summer track, and I was bad. I, I was so hurt emotionally as a kid. Like, and it's hard to vocalize all this as a kid or a teen. It's hard to vocalize all this unless you kind of take your notes and, and live through it. And then you're, you're, you're brave enough to voice what's going on. Because I remember, I, honestly, like especially high school, I didn't talk about my feelings at all. I didn't feel like there was any point. I didn't feel like anybody cared. So, um, I was so bad, they just kept recommending things for me, especially things I didn't want to do. I didn't like the 400, and they were like, well, maybe he should run the 400 because 
he doesn't have a lot of turnover, but he has good stride and good form. Maybe he should run the 800. Maybe he should run this. Like they were throwing me at anything that that black kids were good at with speed <laughs> that black kids weren't, you know, normally associated with. So they were like, maybe he'll run the 800. Maybe he'll run the mile. I'm like, oh my God. And it's like, yes, I know Kenya and I know Africa. I know all that. But like here in the States, here in America, normally we don't do all that. It takes a different kind of man to run the 800 in the mile. And I love them for that. That's That should be another podcast. Um, but, oh boy. The Rock worked for a little bit. Childhood was even better. But I understand that, like, some people, for a lot of people, the motivation comes from proving somebody wrong. I got to prove this person wrong. And if there's enough people to prove wrong, then they'll, they're good. Like, they're going to stay on that. I got to prove this person wrong. My neighbor thinks he's in better shape than me. Somebody trash-talked me the other day. Like, if you can keep proving people wrong, you're good, right? But what if it's just simply out of retaliation? You know, and that's what I was talking to a friend of mine. What if the motivation is purely out of retaliation? You know, not proving somebody wrong, but just like out of a whim. You know, I I, I bet you can't do it better than me. You know, (laughs) I I, I bet you, you know, what if it's just for show? You know, so. I don't know. Could it be competitive? I don't know. Competitive, revenge. Now, if it really is just a spirit of competition, that's, I think that's maybe the best. Like mine is from my childhood. Nobody can ever go and take my childhood away from me, so it's always going to be there. Um, revenge. Revenge is only bad when you run out of people to revenge, you know? Competition is good because competition is always there, but like, I don't know. What if the person you want to revenge on, you guys are cool. Does do your does your revenge finally die? And then what, you know, my buddy and coach had to had to, you know, kind of slap me up with is if you're only training to beat a specific person and judging and basing your life and your accomplishments off of that person, what if that person dies? What if that person doesn't show up? So he's like so he was like, let's go ahead and be stupid together. So all of your training, all of everything that you've just done is false and, er- and erroneous. It's not, it doesn't even count. It doesn't even matter. So you're going to shame yourself into doing better while not knowing the full circumstances of, you know, the other athletes. And he's like, what if this guy is like eight foot tall? What if this guy doesn't have any of the responsibilities you have? Or what if he has more responsibilities than you, but because of where he's at with his body, he's just in better shape, just better this, better that. He's like, you can if yourself to death, but what you should be doing is is being happy and excited for what you do have and just be thankful and, and revel in that. And it's like, he's so right. Because I remember a wheelchair race in high school that I saw that really slapped me up a, a, a couple different kind of ways. And I was watching as a junior, these men in, in uh, the para race, a wheelchair race, give more heart and dedication to that race without the legs 
than I did with them. You, you can't show me stuff like that. Like nothing motivated me more than that. So I took that motivation and uh, I believe state, I won state junior year uh, for my class, class A, not all class, but for class A, which would have made me runner up for all class. And then um, senior year, all class gold in the 110s and the 300 hurdles and one class A in both hurdles. Um, but yeah, these, these wheelchair runners, these 81 year old runners, these hundred year old marathon runners, um, these, these people I see training for the 5k, the 10k, you know, the half marathon, like they are motivation, they're motivation to me because a lot of them, they don't really don't care about the win or they really don't care about, you know, being the first across the tape unless they know they're of that caliber. If that's specifically what you're training for, great. But a lot of these people are just training for themselves. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And then, of course, your family, if you got an athletic family and they're a constant reminder of that, that's good. But it can be negative, too. You can use a negative as training. If nobody in your family has ever ran, nobody in your family has ever lifted or been healthy or been, you know, in shape. You can use that as motivation too, just out of fear for just good health. So, I mean, every year, um, every year at the beginning of the year is secretly when this training starts. So, you know, I say like most people think, oh yeah, you run in the track meet in July. So what'd you do that month to get ready for training? No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 no. So I talked to my sister about this. Bodybuilders are cutting weight five months out from competition. So the cut, so a lot of them have a whole year under their belt before they get to the competition, unless they do like a couple competitions. But a lot of them before like the big show, of course, which like even bigger, bigger, um, even bigger guys have, you know, a tougher time because they have to to put on the muscle and then cut it down more. Um, I think what my sister was explaining was it could be like a year. And I'll have to go and watch like the, the Ronnie Coleman and Kai Green specials. I'll have to go and watch those again. But um, five month cut. <laughs> a five-month cut is what a figure competitor, figure competitor, bikini competitor, and, and the guys that wear the swim trunks, it's a five-month cut from just all that bulking and lifting that you've done. Basically, I want to say, because um, most shows are, I believe, in the fall or summer, so... Yeah, if it's in the fall, the late fall, November, that means basically right now you're starting to cut for a November show. And then for June, you're starting to cut in in, in January for a show in June. So it's always a cold beginning for me. <laughs> so every January, every January is literally when the outdoor starts back over. Um 
Now, people know this in the South, and if you run in places that are warm, um, you can run a lot more. You can run a lot easier. But here in the Midwest, like in January, there's snow on the ground. Okay. I, I'm not outside shoveling to run on a, a frozen track. Like the ground is hard and stiff with the cold. So big ups and, and more love to all of you that, you know, have the warm weather to train in. My beginnings are very cold. I'll probably be swimming <laughs> in January. But when, when most of the country, like for Atlanta, the Atlanta Track Club and the SoCal Track Club are out there running in the nice warm weather, like I was in Arizona in December and it was just immaculate. I was out there running, having the greatest time. Like it was, it was perfect. And then, then came COVID. But um, yeah, I was having a great time out there running in December. It's like 60, 60. 55, maybe 60 degrees. I'm out there in a shirt and shorts. People are probably thinking I'm crazy. But um, I'm, I'm in the Midwest, so that's what I have to work with. So it's a very cold beginning. So that's what's what's so crazy is like, it, it, especially with our camp, you can watch people there indoors training in the facilities. And the indoor nationals, indoor meets, um, those are like a part of my life. That's like normal. You know, the first couple meets start in like December indoor. I hopefully can run in a few of those. And then um, they go from December all the way to March. So if you do indoor track, your indoor track season technically isn't even over till almost St. Patty's Day. <laughs> Just to be able to get that good run in. Then finally, when you do get to outdoor season in the Midwest, you really don't want to be outside before March. Like, honestly, we'll just, let's just be honest. No coach really wants to be outside before March. Like, it really isn't until April. You really start to get some kind of sunshine. But we're out there as a coach. Like, I'm a coach as well. You're out there in a coach in, like, two pairs of sweatpants. You're out there maybe in boots. You've got on a, a Tommy John or a Tommy Copper or... Uh, uh, thermal Under Armour socks. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're giving us pizza and, and hot cocoa to warm up at these track meets. And we're trying to coach our athletes to, to great wins and great times. They got on sweats and sweatpants and look like they're about to go shovel snow themselves. And uh, no joke, I'm even in the newspaper shoveling a lane out for track practice. I, I have the clipping somewhere. And... Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's some coaching in there, too. Um, being in the master's track and field, um, a lot of us are coaches. Um, some of us, you know, have have one or two jobs. And so it really is amazing, like, when I just kind of back up and sit and think, um, like, wow, these are very seasoned people. These are our, our manly, womanly people. And especially for the women I saw running, um, I mean, there's there's women out there still running 56 second 400s, Angie Henry. I mean, there's women out there still running 11 seconds um, in the hundred. You know, it's just dope. It's amazing. But I mean, the differences in the high level track and field versus just the regular meets that normally people associate themselves with. I mean, there's massage therapists there. There's a bunch of people with massage guns walking around. Um, there's elite 
you know, top-notch trainers there to help you, wrap you up, tape you up. Um, it's organized. I mean, everybody's in a pack. You know, essentially, what, what most athletes encounter in a state track meet is like almost lower level or uh, the beginnings of what you see in organized track and field where you're running your PR, you know, near your PR four times before you even run at the Olympic finals. And like, so like, I can only imagine like <laughs> as a shot putter, as a jumper, as a pole vaulter, like how tiring that actually is if you're not trained for that. You know, if you're not trained for that. So it's, it's so amazing to see on this level how different it is. And that's why, like, for me, I'll never be an armchair quarterback to judge and say how poorly, how horrible or how bad an athlete is or what they should and should not be doing. <clears throat> I'm going to go into this really quick. So with Shikari Richardson and Simone Biles um, and the Osaka girl, their names are on the chopping block um, because of their decision making decision making decisions come from the mind that's mental that's mental health and and nothing could bother me more than to see everyone jump on Simone Biles back after seeing that she's the goat after not knowing that she's paid to have people train with her like paid them and when I say paid them I mean like the way I would pay for your movie ticket the way I would pay for your plane ticket the way I would pay for your hotel stay or the way I would pay for your college tuition, she paid for one of the athletes that's her teammate to train with her at the gym. She paid her fees. So the thing that's hard for me is we have lost people to depression and suicide. For us to skip over that and then just act like Simone Biles is supposed to do all this for a sport, the hell with the sport. Any quality caliber athlete should be able to say, hey, which is what she did. Hey, I'm not supposed to be here. You deserve to be here. Hey, come up and please take my spot. You earn this. I'm not of the right mind and body to be here right now. She did that. She is the GOAT. Serena, the GOAT. Tom Brady, the GOAT. So when they say I'm not doing something or they lose and lose bad, that's when you get quiet. That's not when you get loud. That's when you get quiet because you haven't been there. You haven't been in the absolute dumps at that level to say that they should have done this or done that. And Carrie Strug, she came out. Everybody's, well, Carrie Strug did this. Carrie Strug did that. She came out and supported her and said, I support her in this. So we have all the answers from the headlines, but not one time do we talk specifically to that person. Not one time do we remember and sit back and remember, oh, we've lost people to suicide and depression and mental struggles where they did this and they're, they're struggling. And that, that's what bothers me so much right now is I'm 40 years old and now I can look and talk to people who have struggled with this that have not been on this level that have struggled and almost taken their own lives and have not been on this level. It, it like, I'm sorry, it's horseshit. Like it's, it's horrible. And then 
for me to see this master's track meet, master's level, all these healthy old people, it was beautiful. Because I know that they've got funerals in front of their eyes. They've got kids in front of their eyes. They've got suicide and depression in front of their eyes. They've got stress and work in front of their eyes. They've got all these world events in front of their eyes. They've got COVID and presidents and wars and all this stuff has happened in front of their eyes. And then like people wonder, why are we so few and far between? Kids get in the way. Work gets in the way. Stress, family and injuries get in the way. And here's here's my thing. Please don't let me find out that anyone attributed to or caused this mental breakdown of hers. You, you, like, you wonder why does a singer have a mental breakdown? Why does a performer have a mental breakdown? Why are these rappers so crazy? And, and like, it's the mind. That's why my previous post, are we mentally healing is so fitting for this. It's almost a perfect tee up. We don't know What's going on in her mind, her legs, her muscles, tendons? We don't know until something bad happens. So now that something bad has happened, can we just like shut it, chill, and just say thank you for giving us exactly what we are not, okay? Thank you for giving us exactly what we are not and being able to do exactly what we did not do, cannot do in what we've seen you do. So, all right, you all. I love you all. Hope you love me back. Please love, like, and share all these messages. I am your 40 to 44 national champion. Um, hopefully, you know, if, if the good Lord blesses me <laughs> and the universe is behind me, which it, it clearly is, and everything is aligned, um, you will see me the next few years be your national champion. And it will be more fun. It will be more competitive. I actually plan on that. Um, and I'll, I'll get to race, um, all those hot shots, um, at worlds, uh, next year. So peace and love everybody. I love you all. Hope you love me back. Love, like, and share all these messages. I'll see you soon.